0: I remember at one point crying as I was painting. I believe I was painting Christ's face. I said to the Lord, if I don't stop crying, I'm not going to be able to finish this. And I really felt in my heart him say to me, that's okay, you're not painting it anyway.
1: Welcome to First Person, a weekly conversation centering on a personal story of God's calling and faithfulness. Today, we'll meet Ron DeCiani, who is on a lifelong quest to reclaim the arts for Christ. I'm Wayne Shepherd. We'll get to today's conversation with Ron in just a moment. Each of these weekly interviews is also available online at FirstPersonInterview.com. You can go back through the archive and listen to any program you may have missed or check the calendar for upcoming broadcasts. Just go to FirstPersonInterview.com. And if you're on Facebook, you can connect with the program by clicking on the Facebook icon at FirstPersonInterview.com. Well, I've known Ron Deciani for a number of years and have always found him to be not only a talented artist, but also a great advocate for reintroducing the arts to the church. But his passion had to come from somewhere in his past, and that's what I wanted to find out as I invited Ron to my studio to sit down and talk about his life story and the beginning of his career in the creative arts. Um, When I was in high school,
0: uh, art was the only class I excelled in. And therefore, the teachers thought, well, you're goofing around in everything else because you're failing everything else, not realizing that I was exercising my gift. Hmm. And back in my day art was just like one step below recess. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. It was, you got the crucial things of reading and um, math and all of that stuff under your belt. And if you needed an elective, well, let's throw you in an art class and see what happens. (laughs) Not realizing that there were people God created specifically for the purpose of uh, uh, doing creative things in the world. As a matter of fact, there's a great verse Uh, in Scripture that many times people misinterpret. And I I know you know it, and I know a lot of the people listening are going to know it. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what people do is they say, well, teach him right and wrong. Well, of course. That's of course. However, deeper meaning is watch the way your child is bent to go. And if you send him that way, when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's why you have people who, even doctors today said, my grandfather was a doctor, my father was a doctor, they wanted me to doc- to be a doctor, and I hate my job. Mm. I don't want to get up in the morning and go to work. Because but they
1: were expected to do it. They were expected to do it. it. They, didn't, bent.
0: they didn't look at the way he was bent and, and created to go. Uh, and so I've tried to look diligently at my kids and say, Let's see what you're equipped. What? How are you wired? How did God wire you?
1: And be very sensitive to that. So, was there a person? Was it a, a parent? Was it a teacher? Who was it that believed in you? Uh, my mom
0: was probably the first to realize that uh, I had creative abilities, and always tried to foster that. However, uh, you got to remember, I grew up in the inner city of Chicago, where. You know, my dad was a construction worker. When I kept talking about the arts, he said, good, how are you going to make a living? (laughs) And he he told me, he said, go be a construction worker, go be an electrician, go be a carpenter. Uh, uh, You'll always have work. Um, I guess he didn't foresee that today even some of those are hurting. But um, he didn't understand that you could be an artist and make a living. But the one that came along that God sent into my life was my wife, Pat. And uh, we started dating when I was 16 years old. She was the only date I ever had in my life. Really? Yeah, the only date I ever had. And I knew she was the one, and she, at least to me, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And uh, she didn't know that—I mean, I'm not singing the blues here, but (laughs) we didn't give Christmas gifts— in our family. We didn't have the money. What, ha- what used to happen is you got a coat at around August
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that was your Christmas that gift.
1: It had to suffice.
0: It had to suffice. I yeah. mean, you got what you needed. And you remember that coat I bought you four months ago? <laughs> that was your Christmas <laughs> gift. So we didn't have the festivities. So Pat bought me my first set of oil paints, hmm. bought me my first easel, bought me everything for Christmas gifts. Now, I'm unwrapping Christmas gifts and I'm going, well, what is this? And she's going. Well, don't you ever do Christmas kiss? I said, No, we don't. We don't do this. We no Christmas trees. No nothing. And so um, she was the first one that saw it.
1: How long have you been married?
0: Uh, Thirty-seven years. Last August but we've been started dating about 42 sure years ago. we
1: have known each other a long time.
0: A long, long time. And I, I don't know if she's good or bad because she's the only girl. I, I mean, I guess she's great. You know great, what? She wasn't
1: good or bad. She was the best. <laughs> she's the best, you know.
0: And um, uh, there are times I, you know, I'm, I, I'm sure she looks at me and goes, you again. But, uh, you know, we're not going to get into that.
1: No, we won't. When did the Lord come into your life?
0: My mom was on her way to have me aborted in 1951. Mm -hmm. She never did tell me why, but I have a feeling that um, the fact that Italians have a tendency to have multi-generations living together. Mm -hmm. So my grandmother lived with us, who was a Pentecostal from Italy. Uh, Couldn't speak English. That's where I learned to speak Italian. Uh, my aunt lived with us, of course, my mom and dad, my brother, the dog. And at some point when she became pregnant with me, I think she just said, "We, you know, we had a small little apartment, can't do another one. Mm-hmm. So she was on her way and told me that, um, you know, my grandmother must have been praying because she sat down. And the procedure back then, you I mean we're talking nineteen fifty one now, yeah. so that's a long time yeah, ago. We're
1: about the same age and I was born to a teenage unmarried mother.
0: Well so. there you are. And and so she said that the doctor said this is gonna begin with a injection. And my mom unsaved at that time, said that as the needle came within an inch of her arm, God audibly spoke to her really? and said don't do this. I have a plan for this baby. Oh. So she pushed the needle away, walked out and never went back. And for all of the years that um, she died when she was 88 years old, for all of the years, she kept saying to me, God has a plan for you. Don't forget that God has a plan for you. She would remind me from the youngest age that God had a plan for me. And I would go to what we used to call rallies you know, where there'd be an evangelist, youth youth rallies, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, uh, I'd be in a crowd of 1500 kids and the evangelist would stop and say, you, I'm surprised he didn't say you, the ugly one over there. (laughs) Come on up here. And I'd go up and he'd say, God's picked you. He's got a plan for you. Hmm. Do you know that? And I would always say yes, because my mom had been telling me it for decades. And I then would go back to my seat wondering how I was going to explain it to the kids on the bus ride home. You know, and uh, that's that's how, um, you know, we uh, 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 my life began knowing that God picked me kind of like Samuel, Mm -hmm. you know. uh, But officially, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was about 12 years old, when my grandmother died. um, uh, I don't know how, how to say this, but we got kicked out of the Catholic Church because we kept saying, we're not finding what my grandmother had. Mm hmm. She had Jesus. Why aren't we reading her Bible? And the more questions we asked, the more we got to the point where they finally said, "You're not free to come back anymore. We we we'd rather you didn't come back." So,
1: Ron, when did the fusion of your art and your gift that that uh, you had and have when did the fusion with your faith come about? And and mm, how did that happen? Great question. Well.
0: I had the um, uh, joy of going to the American Academy of Art in Chicago, which at the time was one of the premier schools in the country. And one of the teachers I had uh, professed Christianity, and I said to him, someday I'm going to do this in the kingdom. Now, that's usually when you get a big pat on the back and say, hey, go for it, kid. We need this. He looked at me and said, this will never happen. Hmm. I mean, you talk about the blood draining to yeah, your feet. Sure. You know, I said, well...
1: It's a cold slap in the face. Yeah, I said, well, what do you mean? And he
0: said, the church isn't interested in this. The church could care less. He said, there'll be no money. Go to the world. They appreciate it. Well, you don't argue with people at that level, you know, especially being a first-year student. Um, I was lucky they let me in, let alone sit there and argue. Um, so what I did is I took what I felt God put in my heart, and I hid it in my heart, and I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. I don't Mm. care what anybody says. Um,
1: Did you go off to make a living in art then?
0: Well, um, I found out, unfortunately, he was right. Yeah. That every place I went to try to get the church engaged, and like my son Grant always says, you know, make a call to action, i couldn't find anybody interested everybody said no we don't do that we preach we write but we don't you know this other stuff we don't know what to do with well fast forward 26 years and i had already achieved what you might want to call fame and fortune all that kind of stuff in the world and one day in in my quiet time before the lord i felt the lord say now's the time Hmm. and i said to the lord uh soon as I get rid of all these important people, I'll turn my attention to you. Well, if you ever want your life to dramatically change, answer the Lord like that.
1: Yeah, you don't say no.
0: You don't say no. So I was Jonah for a while. God made it to be obvious what, where I was supposed to go. And as I began to go into, into that um, uh, arena, which the church has withdrawn from, I got to the place where I found what I was born to do. And 26 years after I talked to that instructor, I was at a book and print signing, and I saw the shoes of an old man shuffle up to me. I looked up with tears in his eyes. He was standing in front of me.
1: Honest story. When we continue our conversation with artist Ron DeCiani, we'll talk about his current work, and we'll talk about the arts in the church. Next time on First Person, you'll meet Jerry Wiles, who teaches us how to share our faith. I often emphasize the fact that, uh, you know, we're instruments of His work, and it's Christ living in us that makes it our work. It's not our personality or charm or education or intelligence. We can uh, all be vessels of His um, redemptive activity. The author of No Greater Joy, Jerry Wiles, joins us to talk about using stories and questions to share our faith. Next time on First Person. As we continue our conversation with Ron DeCiani, if you'd like to see some of his artwork, you'll find a link to it at FirstPersonInterview.com. Ron is working on a large mural in Dallas, and I asked him to talk about that. Well,
0: um, about two years ago, actually it's a little more than that, uh, I got a call from the Museum of Biblical Art in Dallas, Texas, who had suffered A couple of years before that, a devastating fire and literally burned to the ground. Now, I had already had a relationship with them, had a show there, had a very successful show. And uh, when they decided to rebuild and, you know, figured out where their money was going to come from and insurance and so on and so forth, called me and said, we lost all of our art and we need a pilgrimage piece. We need a piece that people are going to come from all over the world just to see. Could you do that for us? And I said, heck, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I clicked Did, the phone and said, what are you, nuts? <laughs> had you done
1: anything like that before? Never.
0: I mean, I, I had done four murals before that, but not to that size. How big We're, is this one? Well, this is, uh, 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 in its raw form, 13 feet high by 41 feet wide. Of course, there was what we call bleed, which means when they wrap it around the stretcher sure. bars. Yeah. So it turned out to be
1: 12 feet by 40 feet. And what's the subject here?
0: Well, they gave me only one mandate, and they said, we want it on the resurrection. And you go pray, you figure out what we're supposed to do. And I went and prayed, and two things emerged. The first was, over the years, I had seen the resurrection portrayed as the empty tomb. So just simply an empty tomb symbolized Christ isn't there any longer. I said, boy, it just left me short. I wanted to stop a moment in time where that moment where Christ is grabbing the side of the tomb as the stone was rolled away and he's pulling himself out. Now, let me just tell you that when this was on our huge wall in our studio warehouse in, in California, Johnny Erickson came over to see it. Weeping her eyes out, she said, Christ's face Says to me that he's looking up to the father saying, I did it, mm. I did it, mm-hmm. and um, I was so blessed. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Grant's blowing Johnny's nose for her, and we're sitting there singing. And <laughs> Grant it's is just, your
1: son who was with you,
0: yeah, and I mean, what a time we had, and uh, uh so at any rate, the second thing I wanted to do was I went. After prayer and felt that Hebrews 12.1 had something that needed to be pictured. And that verse says that, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That means right now, Wayne, as you and I are talking, is David right over here? (laughs) Is Jeremiah down right sitting outside That's waiting right. for us? I believe yes, the yeah. scripture tells yeah. us.
1: And so you've got that in this mural. So I mean, in, here, here's Moses holding up the Ten Commandments. Yes. And uh, on the other side, you've got uh, what? You've got uh, John Elijah, the Baptist.
0: I've got Elijah. I've got um, uh, uh, Noah.
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, Esther. Okay. Uh, the, John the Baptist. The great heroes of the faith. Daniel. The Hall of Fame, so to
0: speak. Yeah. Abraham. Uh, uh, behind Moses is David kneeling, holding his crowned out, Abraham, I, I, Isaiah. And, uh, there's so many things to look for in the yeah. painting. It's just, uh, amazing. Yeah.
1: We're going to put your website on our website so people can go and look at some Good. of the, the photographs of this, but if they go to Dallas, they can see this.
0: They could see it and stand in front of it. And I got to tell you, as I was painting it, I remember weeping, uh, and, 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 uh, I could
1: worship for you.
0: Well, it was it was uh, an experience like uh th- my simple words cannot describe. Yeah. I remember at one point my crying as I was painting. I believe I was cr- painting Christ's face and I said to the Lord, if I don't stop crying, I'm not going to be able to finish this. And I really felt in my heart him say to me, that's okay, you're not painting it anyway. <laughs> and it's really the truth, because yeah. as I would get off my scissor lift, I'm 16, 20 feet in the air, in an unair conditioned warehouse in Southern California. It's probably 110 degrees up there. And I'm, I'm, I'm sweating like I just worked out, you know, uh, uh, but having a ball. And, and of course, I am terrified of heights. Oh. So I, I would say to the Lord all the time, you have a great sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. And I felt again that the Lord was saying to me, this is because hmm. you'll never be able to say, well, I, this is what I do. Hmm. This is what I do.
1: We have so little time left, uh, but you must have seen a bit of a shift yeah. in, in terms of the church and, and arts. We're, we're not all the way there yet.
0: Yeah, we're, we're still working our way up. You know, uh, unfortunately... Give me an assessment of where you feel
1: we are now and what what we need to do.
0: I want to be kind and I want to be encouraging, but um, I think what has happened is contemporary culture is still dictating where the church goes. We are still looking at what's selling, at what the the, um, movies are doing. We're mimicking, we're not creating. We're still not blazing trails and you know that God has had me blazing trails for all of my life. Mm-hmm. This is what publishers have always done to me. They've said, Ron, we've never done anything like that before. And I've always said, Duh, <laughs> that's why I'm here, you know? Uh and so I continue to blaze those trails because we have a God that if I could paint another thousand years, I would not touch the surface of his creativity. And since he lives inside of me and his Holy Spirit dwells in me, I've got ideas that are so out of the box that when I bring these to publishers, it just freaks them out. They know that there are some things that are safe, that if they do that, well, we're going to sell so many. And I look at them and I say, well, why don't we use some faith and try this? And it just scares the heck out of them.
1: So as an artist, are you finding it hard to reach the audience you want to reach?
0: Not anymore. Um, I, through the traditional channels, I I was finding it difficult because what they were wanting was security, leaving faith behind. What I was wanting was faith leading me so that we could reach the people in ways that they had never been reached before and speak to them in a language that they had never been spoken to before. So what's changed for you? How are you doing it? Well, one of them is... Um, the mural, of course, is impacting people on a grand scale. The, uh, my pastor, when I, was, when I was actually painting, my pastor came and would watch me. And he would bring, you know, guys from the church or the deacons or the board or whoever. And um, he said, you know, I got an idea. He said, around next Easter... It, however far you're done, why don't we have a worship service in here? We'll move all the machines and all your son's framing equipment and all that stuff, and we'll have a worship service. We'll bring the band in. Well, as it got closer, he said, I got a better idea. Why don't we tell the other churches in the area? Now, I live in a small town in California. It's called Temecula. It's, 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 it's the secondary wine country of California. It's not that populated. Do you know almost two thousand people came out oh, really? in one day and we saw people weeping getting saved right on the spot oh, we boy. saw parents talking to their kids we saw kids with eyes so wide that they they didn't want to leave their parents were sort of dragging them away cuz we were bringing them in in waves and the kids didn't want to move they were being indelibly impacted so you know let me just say i'm going for it huge I'm going for this thing big. When, when my time to go out happens, I want Jesus
1: to say, you did it. That was a question I had for you. How do you want to be remembered someday? I'd like to be remembered as
0: somebody who made his business God. Made the, my business... And I'm, I'm sort of robbing this from A.W. Tozer, who said the business of the of the church is God. Mm-hmm.
1: Ron, as you stand before your easel or these giant murals today, is there consciously a, a verse of scripture or a teaching that goes through your mind that guides your hand?
0: Well, just this past week, I was at a summit um, of, of artists and a man and his wife who are known for just giving a word of knowledge to people, came up to me and said, you know, we have a a word from God for you. And they they went to one of my favorite passages, which is where God, Exodus 31 and also Exodus 35, where God said to um, the artist, uh, he chose Bezalel and Aholiab. Mm -hmm. And he said, I have filled you with my spirit of skill, ability, ability and artistic ability to do all the things I've commanded you to do. And then he went on to say, And for all the craftsmen, I've filled them with the same spirit. And I say to people, I'm in the Bible, just (laughs) way, way down the line. I'm one of those other guys, Uh but way down the line. And so that's what constantly goes through my mind
1: of how God approves of this. Just one of the other guys, but a very talented one, artist Ron DiCiani. If you'd like to see some of Ron's artwork and read more about his ministry, we've placed a link to his website at firstpersoninterview.com. Also, there's more from Ron that you can listen to online, as we didn't have time on the broadcast for the whole conversation. You can hear the rest when you click on Listen Now at the top of the webpage, firstpersoninterview.com. First Person is a weekly program highlighting people and their stories as I encounter them in the course of my work in radio ministry. Of course, your ideas for guests are always welcomed as well, and you can email me with the address found at firstpersoninterview.com. By the way, the website also contains an archive of this week's interview and all previous First Person interviews. Just click on Listen Now for the list of guests to choose from at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, you'll meet Jerry Wiles of Living Water International, who is the author of No Greater Joy. He'll teach us to share our faith. Now, with thanks to my producer and friend, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next week for First Person.